0: I'd like to introduce Sean Serban, who's uh, gonna talk to us about imaging spectroscopy and the retrieval of not only ecosystem function but also composition. Um, Sean's at Brookhaven National Laboratory, although relatively recently there, (coughs) and um, is gonna talk about specifically the the sort of the intersection between function and composition, looking at uh, biochemical plant traits with imaging spectroscopy. All right. Thanks for uh, coming out and and, uh, seeing these talks. And I appreciate being invited to come and give a talk. Um, I'm going to be talking about plant traits and imaging spectroscopy, as as Dave uh, mentioned. Um, I apologize at the outset, because uh, I don't have my own instrument. So I'm not going to have really all the fancy kind of graphics that they get developed for uh, their logos. But if you want to learn more about Hispiri, I would suggest you talk to Rob Green Um, after this talk or uh, in the hallway. Okay, So um, I'm going to go through a talk today that I hope touches on all the things that Dave mentioned. Otherwise, I didn't hit on the things that they were looking for. Um, But I had a hard time putting this talk together because it's a really important uh, topic. I'm really excited about it and there's a lot to cover, uh, especially in 20 minutes. I could probably ramble on for several hours. Um, But I'm going to do my best today to cover these topics and hopefully convince you when you walk away today that um, we need a hyperspectral sensor in space and it would be an invaluable uh, instrument to have uh, for several years to come. So I will start talking a bit about plant traits and the carbon cycle. A lot of my work's been done for me already, so I don't have to touch too much on that, I guess. Um, a bit about imaging spectroscopy, a little on the history, but not too much. Uh, I'm gonna dig into uh, using imaging spectroscopy or spectroscopy in general to look at plant traits, uh, and then talk a bit about um, how we would look at scaling these observations up to global scale uh, satellites. Um, some of the challenges we have right now with spectroscopy, but also a num- number of opportunities that we, can, we could use uh, in with that type of sensor. So this, some form of this figure has been shown a few times today. I was just bringing it up here to talk about um, these uncertainties that we see in our projection of land carbon sink. Um, in particular, trying to think about unpacking uh, what we're seeing here in terms of vegetation and vegetation dynamics. A lot of what we know about plant trait parameterizations and plant trait uh, characteris- characteristics in the land model components of these Earth system models are derived from a small number of studies from a few locations, and often there's a lot of interpolation that's done to figure out how to run a model for a particular ecosystem uh, based on uh, in- inadequate uh, ground observation data. And that's important because plant traits, plants, in general, are, are a major component of the carbon cycle. Um, they, they not only take up a huge uh, component of, of atmospheric CO2, basically providing a subsidy to our burning of fossil fuels, uh, they also emit uh, CO2 through respiration. Uh, they they uh, play a major role in climate and feedbacks through uh, sensible and latent heat uh, fluxes. Um, also are a major store of carbon, uh, both in the woody and uh, short-term leaf vegetation, as well as in the soil. Uh, and they also interact um, through different disturbance and other successional agents to change the, the composition of the atmospheric carbon cycle. Specifically, thinking about plant traits and how they relate to vegetation dynamics and models, plant traits, in general, is it would be uh, a property that describes a specific process of a plant. Um, this is just a simple cartoon describing a few plant functional properties and then the plant traits that we might measure or think about in relation to those functions. So for example, um, recruitment, we'd have seat properties in terms of... Um, Uh, Ralph mentioned things like light utilization, penetration, canopy structure. We would measure things like height, leaf angle distribution, or spectrally, the albedo. Um, In terms of carbon uptake and respiration, we might have things like the parameter that describes photosynthetic capacity or light use efficiency, as as Christian mentioned earlier, uh, leaf nitrogen concentration. Of course, nutrient cycling um, plays a major role in in fluxes, as well as the carbon cycle through the nutrient carbon feedbacks. so we'd have things like the the leaf nutrient content, um, the structural components that would regulate the rate of decomposition in soil, as well as things like the, the morphological pr- properties. So it was mentioned earlier, I think, by um, Josh talking about differences differences in structural components and the and regulating the rate of decomposition, and so capturing information about plant traits that relate to their carbon or their lipid or their lignocellulose composition and their nutrient composition can tell you a lot about the the, uh, nutrient cycling capabilities of a different, uh, nutrient cycling capacity of different ecosystems. And of course, this all links with the um, soil and below ground processes. And importantly, understanding of the plant traits uh, helps you understand the controls of ecosystem processes, functional diversity and the carbon cycle. This paper by Reich describes a bit about the interplay between different um, properties at different scales and how they play out and interrelate inter- inter- across different components, from the water cycle through the carbon cycle, nutrient fluxes, and how that plays uh, a role in the overall ecosystem function and uh, dynamics. And so, understanding um, tra- plant trait diversity and plant trait plant trait char- char- characteristics across the landscape is really important for us to get a better handle on how we model and represent uh, vegetation dynamics, vegetation carbon fluxes, and how we capture the important processes uh, that uh, we can use to model and project these through time. And so it was mentioned earlier about models in these plant functional types. This is a simple cartoon describing a bit about that. So most current models use a plant functional type description. Some maybe have one. Others may have many. PFT descriptions, and they're basically a way to aggregate information about vegetation into sensible units that you can use to describe vegetation and vegetation dynamics. So, for example, here we might have a number number of PFTs where they have the various different trait values for photosynthetic capacity, uh, leaf nitrogen concentration, wood density, root turnover rate, um, and it goes on and on. And so, what this means is that there are different functional groupings of s- different species with that have uh, interact interact in interact in the models and have different competitive abilities that will you use to describe how a veg- an ecosystem will respond to climate how it'll uh change through succession and how it'll react to different disturbance agents um typically we fill these boxes if you will with a single number for each pft and then run that model so you might have anywhere from one as i mentioned and in some cases for these globally global pro- projections they might have up to as many as or as few as 15. But what we'd like to think about is moving away from this current design of models where we have a single trait number for a, a simple PFT and thinking about how do we describe the trait space and the covariances of these different traits within PFTs um, so we can derive a more dynamic uh, system for that w- we use to parameterize our PFT descriptions. So in this case, we're talking about Ways to describe uh, the interaction between interaction between different traits between and between different PFTs to have this fundamental trade off in, in traits through time. So some PFTs might win out under different climate scenarios. Or other PFTs might have a more competitive advantage in uh, various different ecosystems or soil types. And so what this allows you to do is have more emergent properties uh, of your model projections versus um, more static parameterization of your uh, uh, parameters. And also importantly, uh, this means that we need a lot of more data to be able to understand these trait space covariances across many d- ecosystems and zoom in on places that are of high importance. And so to that end, um, this, this figure has also been shown once or twice today. But I think it represents a good uh, um, understanding of what our situation is in terms of this, our, our wanting to get to this next generation modeling capability where we think about plant trait distributions but the fact that in places where we have a lot of carbon and a lot of, a lot of stored carbon and a lot of carbon fluxes, we have very limited information. And so what this means is that we need new ways to capture that information in those locations. Not only is it challenging to go to the tropics and make a lot of measurements because there aren't a lot of roads, it's also very difficult to get into, as well as the Arctic, um, it's just not logistically feasible. What we need are, are ways to fill in these gaps, coupling both ground inventory measurements but also using... Space based and other uh, approaches to, f- to get information that we can use to, to understand and project ecosystems. So, uh, I'm going to talk a bit today about uh, one tool for that, which would be spectroscopy, and specifically talking more in terms of vegetation spectroscopy. So, here's a simple uh, figure just showing um, the reflectance of, of a leaf, the transmittance of a leaf inverted so you can see the absorption of that leaf. So, often we look at in the visible spectrum or the visible and near infrared, for for example, with NDVI, and we want to think about chlorophyll absorption, and so that's important for thinking about how how uh, the plant utilization of light and photosynthesis. But there's a lot more information in the vegetation spectrum that can be, we can use to invert to different plant chemical constituents in understanding <coughs> spatial dimensions and temporal <coughs> dimensions and plant traits. And the way we do that, and this is a very simple simple very simple simplification of this. Um, We think about the physical basis of imaging spectroscopy or spectroscopy in general. And basically, within um, a material, like a leaf, there are numerous different um, molecules and and chemical bonds. And they interact with light in different ways. And what that does is it ends up giving you that spectrum. So the amount of one constituent might absorb more in one wavelength or a group of wavelengths. Versus another chemical constituent that w- might absorb uh, greater in another set of wavelengths. And then we use that information to get go back from the spectral signature that we observe back to the trait of interest. So, for example, if we look at um, a slide that I've adapted from Rob Green, where we have uh, a number of different traits displayed across the shortwave infrared spectrum. And then you can see on top of that places where we would see absorption from chlorophyll, as we showed earlier, uh, nitrogen. Um, water and cellulosic absorption as well as um, proteins like nitrogen and starches and lignocellulose features that that drive the signatures that we see out in these wavelengths and of course we see differences between leaves that are fully hydrated as well as leaves that have been desiccated or dried out as well as soil but interestingly when you have a lot of of, uh, leaf material in soil you'll have similar features in the shortwave infrared And so what we're trying to do with with spectroscopy is is basically take these signatures and invert them back to these traits of interest so that we can generate maps and and parameter estimations and distributions across landscapes where we can't easily access them. And so this fits into this this scheme of of these optical types. So typically a lot of uh, optical remote sensing has looked at um, collecting information about spectra and then using that to infer uh, plant species composition or land cover or changes in land cover dynamics. However, um, the other way you can look at it is this, this idea of inverting it. So thinking about how vegeta- the, very, the combination of vegetation structure that you might get from, from uh, LIDAR, for example, um, interacts, wi- interacts with the, the biochemistry of the, of the foliage and the physiology of that foliage, its, it's ph- photosynthetic capacity, it's, its activity, as well as the seasonality of that vegetation. And so these combine for different ecosystems and for different plant functional groupings into what we could call an optical type that was coined by Susan Houston and John Gammon. And the idea here is that we don't necessarily need to know the species. But what we want to get to is the the combination of these traits to understand the functional characteristics of that landscape um, and then uh, use that to inform our understanding of that ecosystem. So we're trying to capture capture that plant trait diversity through these spectral fingerprints. Versus uh, trait uh, versus land cover mapping activities. So, what is imaging spectroscopy? And this is uh, one of two slides that I have used to use to describe what imaging spectroscopy is. So, I apologize, but uh, with only twenty minutes, it's the best I can do. Um, but basically, this the slide from Rob Green is describing how. You use a, basic a number of different spectrometers aligned in parallel to, to fly over an ecosystem or a landscape, or observe a landscape. And it converts that uh, landscape into a what's called an image cube. And within that image cube, you have a number of spectra that are def- identified for each um, feature on the landscape. So basically, if anyone's ever used a field spectrometer, you've measured this before. You're measuring the spectrum of that material. But what an imaging spectrometer allows you to do is actually take an image of that where every pixel is a Z profile or every pixel is a spectral fingerprint. And what that does is allow you, it gives you a powerful opportunity to, 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 bu- to build maps and, and uh, landscape characterization of different materials. And in terms of vegetation, characterize the, the vegetation patternings al- across an ecosystem. So here's an example from some work from Wisconsin. Here's the hyperspectral image cube. Um, we derive from the Avarice sensor flown on the ER two platform, one of the <coughs> one of two platforms that Avarice currency f- currently flies and you can see the the Z profiles of vegetation spectra d- derived from this image cube and then we 're going to use this information to relate back to traits that describe that vegetation so this is by no means new. Um, Carol Westman was looking at doing this back in the 1980s using the, origi- the precursor to Avarice called AIS, and she was able to find for. Um, A similar place, similar location in Wisconsin, Black Hawk Island, that um, using the AIS spectra, she was able to predict um, canopy lignin content. So uh, uh, a major property that describes the decomposability of vegetation. Um, She was able to see that in 1988. Um, In subsequent years, lots of work has come out of various different groups, uh, including the New Hampshire group. And here's a paper by Mary Louise Smith uh, where they showed the ability to basically capture bulk canopy nitrogen for a east coast uh, for a region in the east coast using the the successor avarice um, and build uh, a canopy N map which was one of the first um, examples of doing this uh, over a large scale and in, in later studies they actually used this information to drive to drive an ecosystem model pnet to understand the variability in NPP based on observations of of one of the major components that uh, in that model can be nitrogen. So how how exactly do we do, we do these relations? How do we build these maps? How do we link ground data to imaging spectroscopy data? Well, like many other uh, airborne or, or uh, satellite-based uh, remote sensing techniques, we need to get some in situ data. Um, typically, what we do is we measure uh, the vegetation structure and demography, much like other sensors, optical properties shoot leaves down or collect them with pruning poles or use tree climbers and basically describe the vegetation and capture the the leaf foliar chemistry we're going to use some form of of scaling that up this is a pretty complicated figure but I'm just showing it to give you an idea of the number of steps that might be involved in actually trying to scale up um, these measurements to um, the image scale so in this case we have leaf traits we have imaging data we do a bunch of corrections we c- correlate them, or we and we build our algorithm algorithms um, with the image data to basically build these trait maps. One of those algorithms would look like this. This is an uh, algorithm for leaf nitrogen concentration. Um, it's using the partially squares regression approach. It's a pretty consist- common approach these days in uh, hyperspectral remote sensing to decompose the spectral characteristics using all of the spectral information down to a sensible number of components that are you used to explain the covariance between, for example, spectra and leaf nitrogen. So here's an example of, of the observed versus predicted um, for a number of sites, about 167 in the East uh, Temperate and Boreal Forest. Um, here's the coefficient model that we have. Uh, uh, su- uh, overlaid is uh, Mary Martin's um, multi-site study that she did in 2008, giving you some confidence that we're picking up in similar regions using even though we're using these empirical approaches and in this case we used a method that um, could build in a bit of an uncertainty estimate into these predictions and so that's important because when we when we build these maps of plant traits we not only want to know the spatial distribution of these traits shown here for a a forest in in Maryland um, where on the left we have the species map and on the right you can see the variation in trait space uh, so, for leaf mass per area and leaf nitrogen concentration, and here, um, this is the Green Ridge River, or Green Ridge State Forest, sorry. But on the right, using those in, uh, inversion approaches with uh, building in the uncertainties, we can actually see places where um, we have high predictive ca- uh, capability and places where we have lower predictive capability where we can target future acquisitions or future data collection. It also is ind- indicative of places where there's been recent forest management that we didn't account for in our model. So it's kind of a, way to, an, a neat way to actually capture changes on the landscape through this approach. But if we want to use this data with, with ecosystem models to inform ecosystem modeling activities, we need to know something about the uncertainties. And of course, um, we can take this information and look at functional characteristics in the lan- landscape, functional diversity. Here's a great paper by Kyla Dalin and, and, and folks using uh, the Carnegie Airborne Observatory for Jasper Ridge, a pretty famous uh, site that's been used a lot in hyperspectral um, remote sensing papers. And she used um, this site and collected a, uh, a n- a numerous trait data to, to be, al- be able to build this, this map and, under- and look at the landscape, the coupling between landscape dynamics and, and plant trait diversity. So I hope I um, um, have convinced you, at least to this point, that hyperspectral remote sensing is an val- invaluable tool. But I will say that there are numerous, numerous challenges that we face still in using this data. Um, as I mentioned, scaling up is, is fairly complicated, I'd say more so for the tropics. And we're just now getting into that, <laughs> that in, in the NG projects where trying to get a handle on how, how do we capture um, a pixel that might be composed of 150 different tree species. Um, We've had this situation where we've got a lot of great data, but it's from many different locations, from different times. And we really need to standardize our approaches to build generalized algorithms, Um, particularly when thinking about a space-based mission. Um, We need to think about consistent data workflows, which I think would be a byproduct of a a satellite mission. And uh, as I said, we need to be able to understand and propagate uncertainties, I'd say, with this data and any other remote sensing data. On the other hand, um, next generation sensors are, are really advancing the science. Particularly in Averis Next Gen is a great <coughs> example of how higher fidelity and more spectral information is, is increasing the capabilities of hyperspectral remote sensing and imaging spectroscopy. I think we have an opportunity to, now that we have uh, fairly good uh, radiative transfer models and more computational power, we have this uh, ability to blend empirical and mechanistic approaches. Um, I'm just going to put a plug in for Alexei's poster that will be here tomorrow uh, on that. Um, we need to, I'd say this is both a, a challenge and, a, and, a, and an opportunity. We have uh, lots of data. We should, we should be um, pooling data and thinking about doing meta-analyses and thinking about systems like the NASA-funded Ecosys database. It's the idea is to pool data and look at retrospective analyses of, of trade data and, and spectra through time, and also coupling of this information with other, inf- like LIDAR and thermal. Um, I think we can utilize uh, unmanned systems and other airborne systems to to validate and and help with the scaling question with uh, a sensor like Hesperia, which will have a 60-meter footprint. And I think it's very important to think about how we're going to use imaging spectroscopy to capture trait information through time. And I'd just say another opportunity is is going along that global, global relationship capability, where we can pool data sets. I think we're at an opportunity now where we've got a lot of information. And here's just an example where we've taken a relationship we developed that I showed you earlier for uh, temperate forests and, and boreal forests and applied it to Brazilian and, and Arctic data. And, and we, we see a capability of actually making these algorithms general across sites. Um, uh, the we've been showing some capabilities, much like the solar-induced fluorescence, the capability to invert spectral information back down to. Uh, phosynthetic parameters of interest. So this is some work that's coming out of our Hispiri work in, in Southern California here is in the Coachella Valley for a couple agricultural sites capturing that VC max parameter I mentioned earlier. And then finally, um, as I mentioned, a, a major opportunity would be to start utilizing remote sensing data, such as this, to inform our plant functional trait definitions and understanding how we can improve our parameterization in, in earth system, ecosystem and earth system models, as well as for benchmarking. And I just end saying that you know, the goal would be to do plant traits from space, or as Dave and others have coined, space, space truthing um, using hyperspectral data. And that's where I'll end. <laughs>